Welcome to Spread the Word, a podcast brought to you by Bayes. Our mission is to interview and share perspectives on gender to our community. You're here with Audrey, Sydney, Ahana, Isha, Liz, Serena, and Erin. Today we are discussing intersectionality, misogyny, and racism with Samantha Taylor. Hi, I'm Liz. And I'm Serena. And we're the representatives of Bayes that interviewed Samantha Taylor for this episode. Samantha Taylor is currently a senior at IMSA who's very well known for the remarkable activism work she does against racial injustices. One of her recent notable achievements at IMSA was Black Box, a platform that she created for communication, activism, expression, and healing through art. In this podcast, we delve into concepts such as radical self-love and alpha female, as well as stigmas surrounding the intersectionalities of sexism and racism. Our discussion today involves topics that some may consider sensitive, including experiences with racism, misogyny, and prejudice. We choose to discuss these subjects because they are so prevalent in our society, and the purpose of this podcast is to provide our listeners with conversations that help broaden your perspectives. The first question we had was, in your response, you quoted yourself as an alpha female, so how has it affected you and how do we as a collective work to overcome that stigma okay so that's actually very interesting that's like a really good question to start off with how can i explain this at least with my experience growing up i've always been an extremely talkative and outgoing person and i guess in society kind of associate those traits with masculinity and so i remember being in class especially in elementary school and i was always labeled as like problematic because like i would talk a lot because i Like we can't, 
generalizations about people. We all have our own uniqueness. We all have our own distinctiveness. And these boxes only only kind of limit our possibilities of what we could achieve, um, even just not only individually, but as a collective. And so we have to kind of reimagine this entire idea of femininity and masculinity, get rid of that and kind of replace that with this idea of um, just being who you are, accepting who you are, and like taking up space in whatever that may look like for you. All right, so our next question is, um, what are some specific experiences with racism and misogyny that you have dealt with in the past? And do you think that being broken down so often is the reason that you're so strong today? Oh, you guys have some good questions. Yeah, I feel like I've definitely, being a black female, like the intersections between race and like misogyny, it showed up early, early on in life. I remember, like, in terms of, like, beauty standards, like, when I was growing up, I was looking at Hannah Montana, Demi Lovato. There was no there was no person of color that looked like me in the media. Um, and so I remember I would just sit down, look in the mirror, I'd be like, I hate my hair. Like, I hate my hair. I wish I had a quote-unquote, like, white girl's hair. Like, I... Before I could even conceptualize what racism was, like, what misogyny was, like, what gender roles was, I already hated myself so i think for many people um it's kind of like every day is like this natural process of growing to love yourself more and more and more but i think having yourself kind of broken down at that young of an age it like i would say heightened my awareness of things even just like small instances like beyond just like the way that race has impacted like the school that i go to a lot of aspects about myself I remember one moment in particular, I was my freshman year and I had just transferred from being in like an all-black community and I had transferred into like a community that now had like 13 black kids out of class of 1,000 and like within the first couple um, months, like someone had called me the N-word with a hard R. And I was like, oh my God. And I remember I had like told the principal and I had got the student suspended and I got dirty looks in the hallways for like months and months after that. And I just kind of like, when, we, when I think about school and when we think about non-predominant, non-black schools, it is so, so, so much harder for black females to to integrate themselves into that community compared to, like, their black male counterparts or just anybody else. Like, even in my experiences at IMSA, it's almost like, it's, it's, it's this feeling of being overlooked that's, like, so hard to explain and just not being included, but... It's kind of knowing that it's because of these intersection of identities that you are in this place. And so I think that I'm a bit, even though experiencing all of these experiences um, was challenging, of course, I think that through every like pain you encounter, every like negative thing that you are able to encounter, you are able to grow from it and learn a lot from it. So I, I 100% think that um, experiencing those things is what has kind of driven my passion, what has driven my activism. Because I think without those, without those experiences, I wouldn't be able to speak on it. Whenever I have my speeches or write my articles, it's always coming from a place of understanding and knowing that there is someone else who is in those shoes. And so I definitely think that. I definitely appreciate those experiences because it was able to develop my character and 100% make me into the person I am today. Yeah, and I especially resonated with you being a black female in like an environment where it's predominantly white and there's the black male, but the black male is almost yet like praised for being there. And then like the black female, everyone's turning their head and it's just like, wait, whoa, right? And I've seen it with my own eyes and I could understand. 
Yeah, it's like, it just is a lot that contributes to it. Like, the fetishization of black men, hyper-sexualizing black men. They're put on this pedestal compared to everybody else. Um, and I've even talked about it with, like, a lot of my friends, um, especially in the way that not only are black females overlooked, but it's kind of like black males play a significant role in that as well. Especially when it comes to relationships romantically, we hear... Um, a lot like I'm sorry I don't date black girls my first crush told me that on the playground in second grade and I, I I wasn't able to conceptualize at that time but it's so weird to think that that's something that not that other people don't have to experience that whenever a black girl has a crush it's even if it is on a black boy race is such a significant part of it that you first have to make sure are they gonna like me or not like me because I'm black like that's the number one thing that goes through your head and I think it's it's so crazy how it's normalized and it's just it's, it's, it's insane that it's something that we have to experience so what do you think would be an effective way if any for people to best understand your perspective if they haven't lived through it I think it's definitely if you haven't had these experiences yourself like I, I think there's two different types of understandings there's obviously one that you have from experiences but there's one that you can get from just listening and being an ally is listening to people's stories is reading about people's stories is making the effort to understand the experiences of other people even though you haven't experienced it yourself and realizing that those experiences are 100% valid and valuable um even when I talk to, like, my friends that are black females, um, I listen to their story because those two stories are the same. My story is completely different than what my friend who lives across the street's story may be. So I think it's just listening, understanding, and comprehending, having that communication, having that dialogue with people who have had those experiences. Like, especially when it comes to, like, um, trans women, that's not an experience that I have. So I actively seek those conversations, and I actively seek to be an ally for that community um, to kind of be an activist, even though I may not have those experiences, to help push me in that direction. Our next question is, how long has it taken you to build up the confidence and radical self-love that you have today? And who, if anyone, has helped you develop that? Man, uh, I don't even say that like I'm fully there yet, but I think every day is like a process. Every day is like one step of looking in the mirror and saying that I love myself. And I think the really special thing about radical self-love is that it is one of the most powerful forms of activism. For marginalized communities, whether it be racially, culturally, um, or females, genders, like no matter what marginalized community you are a part of, there's nothing more powerful than looking in the mirror and carrying yourself in a way that says, I love myself, even though society tells you that you should be this, you should be that, and because you don't fit into these boxes, um, you're not you're not a value, you're not as valuable as someone who does fit into those boxes. The first step to making a change you want to see in the world around you is acting on those changes yourself. And so if I want to see a world that isn't going to, that's going to not going to be colorist, not going to be racist, not going to be misogynist, then I can't, I have to get rid of those internalized feelings that I have within myself because those internalized feelings um, influence everything that we do. And it is part of, especially for people of color, um, it is one of the main drivers of not having self-confidence. And so I think when it comes to building self-confidence, 
it's obviously very different for every other person. But I think is you just have to sit down and you have to be extremely honest about the things that you have grown to dislike about yourself. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts um, about self-confidence and self-love that I think have definitely been one of the main forces of getting this to understand. But I think um, it's also understanding that comparing yourself is the number one thief of all joy. And I think that is the root of a lot of people's lack of confidence is comparing yourself to somebody else. Whenever you compare yourself to anybody, you're always going to come second because you're not that person. You're comparing somebody else's standard to yourself. And so when you realize that like you're 100, there is no common person. You're 100% unique, both inside and out. And that comparing yourself is just a complete waste of time because you're never going to be that person. That person's never going to be you. That's when you start to see the true value and to see see the true worth in yourself and knowing that there's no replica of you like in, on earth. Um, you're like a snowflake. Like You're perfectly you. And so when you start to embrace yourself, um, both the good and the bad, um, when you start to just surrender to who you are, like I, I can't even really explain it, but it's like almost like everything falls into place after that. So it's like I know what has helped me has been reading the book More Than Enough by Elaine Wilforth was definitely my first step. Um, I journal every single day. I listen to podcasts. I listen to music that like makes me feel like a bad be Like I, I do that to, to lift me up and to like every day help me realize my worth. So I definitely think that those things have helped. Yeah, and I think even today, like, social media, of course, plays a major part in, like, people tearing themselves down because it's, like, they're holding themselves to these, like, beauty standards that the people who are giving off those standards, like, they're, they don't even meet those standards themselves, you know? It's just what so- social media portrays, and, like, people don't understand, like, people put their best life on social media, so all we mm-hmm. see is That's so crazy you bring this up because I literally... I deleted, I deleted my Instagram like two weeks ago. Like, I literally, I don't even have my Instagram. Um, my, I deleted my Facebook. I only have like my messenger, like my school Facebook. And my Snapchat, I deleted that for a week, but now I don't even go on it. Like, I look like for one week completely, I detached myself from all social media. And I tell you, that was one, that was the best week of my life. Because I, for me, it made me realize every single thing on social media is curated. None of it is authentic. None of it is real. Um, it's all everybody trying to be like this best version of themselves. And you spend so many hours of your day focusing on somebody else's artificial life when you can be improving on yourself. And so, like, in that time, I think I read, like, three books. Like, um, I journal. I learned so much about myself. And because social media is such a significant part of how we communicate, like, I still use it to, like, you know, of course, for school and stuff, but... I just realized that I was going on there and I was seeing stuff that was disrupting my peace. And I was like, that's not normal. And so I definitely think everybody should, I think I'm going to start to make it a monthly thing where I just like detox of all social media. But I think everybody should give themselves the opportunity to just detox off of social media. Because you can just really focus on yourself and give yourself the time you need to become the best version of yourself. So then the second part of that question was, who, if anyone, has helped you along the way to build up your radical self-love, or do you think it's been, like, a personal development? Um, I definitely think besides, like, um, the woman that I have seen in the media, like, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of course, Elaine Wilworth, um, just a lot of role models within the media that I have kind of connected with in their experience. 
I used to think like, oh my god, my dad is like the cockiest person on earth. But like that's because I was so out of tune of like what true self confidence looked like. My dad is the most confident person that I know. Like he is the most he is the funniest person I know. He's like one of the realest role models. And like I'm always able to have these conversations with him because he understands and he listens. And so I think that it's definitely been him as a role model and the role models throughout the media. But I also think this book that I'm reading is called Psycho Cybernetics. It just like it covers everything from like shame to like feeling down and it almost like it just made me realize that your mind is such a powerful powerful thing um literally your mind turns things into actions if you think negatively of yourself you're going to carry yourself in a way that is negative to validate those thoughts that you have in yourself if you have a positive mindset you're going to carry yourself in a way that validates those positive ideologies your mind plants the seeds for all the actions in your life and so when you shift and you create a positive mindset and you seek to see the silver linings and everything that happens in your life then you know your actions start to manifest in that way so i definitely think it has been reading like reading is powerful like i didn't read that much until this summer but when i tell you i've just been like chugging down audio books and like books because that is where the most powerful knowledge is and it's crazy because not a lot of people even go and seek that knowledge um but it's it's there man it's really there so the next question is where do you see yourself taking your activism work relative to the movements against misogyny and racism in the next 10 years Whoa, that's so crazy that you asked me. Like, honestly, I don't even know what I'm going to like. I literally don't even know what I'm going to do tomorrow besides school. Um, I'm very much a living the moment type of person. But hopefully in terms of my activism, I obviously want to keep continuing to use my um, Black, Box, Black Box platform um, to just write, even if it's just recreationally. I definitely want to continue to have that as a space for other members of the youth to um, speak on their ideologies about what's happening in the world around them as well as space for myself. Um, I definitely think in this upcoming year, I definitely want to take advantage of the leadership positions that I have within Black Union and pure multicultural education and to create focus groups um, and to kind of spread this information because I feel like even for me, my, my sophomore and junior year, I wasn't able to connect the dots with my experiences and see that I was experiencing these things because of the intersection of my identities, that this wasn't something that everybody was experiencing. And I wasn't a, quite able to put a label on the way that I was being treated um, and the way that I was interacting with other people. And so I think equipping people with the knowledge um, to understand what they are going through so that they can come out the other end more knowledgeable. Um, but as far as the far side future, um, I really want to go into policy, um, law, and so hopefully within that field, I'm able to make some more structural um, and systemic changes um, to make the world a little more inclusive place. But time can only really tell the fight against like misogyny racism like that's that's no easy journey at all what motivates you to persevere like it can really beat you down yeah i think it for me is realizing that this isn't something that i'm just gonna do for the summer it's just something that like i'm gonna do for the next year this is like a lifestyle thing because the changes that i want to see um truthfully and i'm saying this in a pessimistic way there it's really hard to uproot a system that 
has been here for such for centuries. And so it's kind of knowing that this is something that I have to dedicate my life to because this isn't something that I can just turn on and off. It's in the actions that I do every day, little, small or big, whether it's giving a speech at a um, a protest or it's just correcting like my family members when they say something that um, is kind of offensive or incorrect. And so I think having this awareness that um, this isn't something, this is like a, this is a lifestyle, but I think what has also helped me is realizing that this is kind of bigger than me. This is not just this is not just my passion. This is me wanting to create a better future for the black females that come after me, for the people of color that come after me, to ensure that their experiences um, are even just a little less difficult than what we have experienced as a generation. And I think that's always the goal is to make sure that the people that are, we're able to leave some sort of like signpost. Um, to kind of pave the way for the generations to come. So I think it's also realizing that um, this fight has been going on for a while. There's been people ahead of me and there's going to be people after me. And all I can do is take up the land that I can and do whatever I can to contribute to this. Our next question is about Black Box that you mentioned. What inspired this project and has it helped you connect with peers and convey your message of racial awareness? Definitely. So it kind of started off um, around like last year. I first got the idea last June and like I spent like the, I like many different visions of it before like came together in October. I think that's when I first kind of released it. Um, but it was because like I've always been into writing. I have literally journals and stacks and stacks and stacks of notebooks of just me writing. Cause I think um, for me, um, I feel like I've experienced a lot in, the only way I was able to understand my thoughts was with journaling because I think there's something special about writing down your feelings and word by word you're able to piece together um, solutions or maybe um, feelings that you weren't able to recognize when they were just kind of floating in your head. So I think writing and journaling has definitely been um, one of the most positive um, coping mechanisms for me. And I slowly started to realize that it wasn't just me. It was a lot of people within my community. They would post their poems onto like... Um, social media and they would say they have this interest of doing like this type of poetry and this type of poetry. I've always had a lot of my writing focused around like my identities but there wasn't really a space for me to do that. There wasn't really any accessible uh, platform for me to publish my writing or just to get it out into a space that was inclusive and so when there isn't a space for it, you gotta create it for yourself and so that's kind of what I did with Black Box and I definitely think that not even in just my own writings, but in especially um, in the most recent months, just getting a lot of writing from other people and reading it, it also has helped me in listening to other people's stories and listening to other people's perspectives as well. And so I would definitely say that it's definitely heightened my knowledge of or my cultural and racial awareness uh, because I'm able to look beyond just my own thoughts, but also indulge in the writing of my peers. Our last question to sum it all up. Um, overall, what advice do you have to people older or younger than you that are experiencing the same type of obstacles such as like not loving yourself or like if you're experiencing racism or misogyny or sexism, like what advice do you have for people to overcome those obstacles like you did? Or I would say, well, at least when I was experiencing those problems and when I still continue to experience problems, the biggest advice that helped me was understanding that you are not your 
problems, um, the kind of the obstacles that you face, they are a part of your character development and they make you a better person, but they are not you. They do not define you. Um, and so I think for me, I have the tendency to just have like, just soak about it and have this self pity, but you have to use that kind of anger, um, that aggressiveness, that that sadness that you may be feeling from having those experiences and pushing that in the direction of your goals, um, pushing that in the direction of creating something or in your activism, using those emotions to create something beautiful because those bad experiences can only be bad experiences if you allow them to be. But if you choose to see the beauty in it and use it as an opportunity to not only make yourself a better person, but to offer something to the world, um, you can start to see the value in having those experiences. And so I definitely would say um, is that, you know, it's all, it's temporary. And it, I promise, even when it feels like it's not going to get better because I've had my moments when, like, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is going to be like this forever. It does get better. Um, and you just have to really see the beauty in every single moment. Um, and you have to know your own worth. You have to be content within who you are, and you have to realize that loving yourself is one of the most powerful forms of activism, and it all starts within yourself. Before you can offer anything else to the world or offer your love to the world, you first have to have it for yourself. And so if you need to seek help, seek help. If you need to get therapy, don't 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 condemn yourself for it. But I think perhaps even I, even I have I have therapy, and it's been one of the most helpful things I've ever had. So never feel afraid to seek out for help if you feel so low that you can't get up by yourself but keep moving forward um you always have to keep going in the forward direction and soon enough the gray clouds will go away and you will start to see the sun again and so that'll be my best advice and that was it for all the questions we had thank you thank you thank you so much your answers were extremely insightful i learned a lot just in the span of like <laughs> thank you <laughs> I really enjoyed all the questions and I really, really appreciate this opportunity. I think this is such a unique and creative thing to do. That's all we have for you today, but we hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, make sure to tune in to our next episode and keep up with us on Instagram and YouTube at Bayas underscore IMSA. Until next time, spread the word.